So we are continuing our series on the Ten Commandments. Um, and uh, those of you that uh, uh, have been journeying along will know that we're journeying backwards through the Ten Commandments um, and making our way towards uh, commandment number one, love the Lord your God. Um, so uh, we are uh, in, uh, in, in potentially tricky territory today. Um, so I'm going to read um, from Exodus 20, verse 14, um, and then from Matthew 5. Um, as we just uh, we just ground ourselves in scripture at the beginning um, right away. So, Exodus 20, verse 14. You must not commit adultery. Matthew 5. You have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery, but I say anyone who even looks at a woman in lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. So we are stretching, treading into an area that is a sensitive topic this morning. As we sit here today, come together in worship, um, we have to acknowledge that some of us today will have been the victims of an unfaithful partner. Some of us here today will have been the antagonist in an extramarital affair. Some of you are the hurt parent or the hurt child of someone who has been affected by or even caused unfaithfulness in a marriage. This is a subject that touches everyone in some way, pretty much. Um, so, yes, here be dragons this morning. Um, and uh, if you're visiting us, um, we do love to get into some of the tricky topics sometimes. It's not always like this, though, so uh, bear with us as well. Um, but um, bearing in mind, it is a sensitive topic. Shall we start in prayer? Let's start there. Father God... Send your Holy Spirit amongst us now, we pray. Send your comforter to minister in this place. Lord, may the words we hear be yours. May we tread with care, tread with love. And Lord, we ask for you to minister amongst us, to hold us in this place of safety as we explore your word together. In Jesus' name. Amen. So what are we talking about? Well, clearly, we're talking about adultery. And uh, adultery can vary from the, uh, the casual fling, if there is such a thing, um, to the intense affair um, of which films and novels are made. Um, but more, actually, adultery is defined as being an act of, of unfaithful to someone with whom you are in a committed, monogamous relationship. Um, the Oxford English Dictionary defines, uh, defines uh, adultery as voluntary sexual intercourse between a married person and a person who is not their spouse. It sets it up pretty plainly. Um, but when we come to scripture, Jesus had a different definition. 
Jesus comes up, as we heard in, uh, in, in Matthew 5, um, with something that's a bit more definitive and yet a bit more open-ended, if that's not a contradiction. Because as we've, uh, Jesus said, you have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery, but I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Gender-specific language allowing this is for all of us male and female. If you look with lust on someone else, Jesus says you have committed adultery with them in your heart. So Jesus opens the definition beyond that of just, just, beyond that of having sex with someone who you're not married to. Jesus opens the definition to those that look at pornography. He wouldn't have termed it like that, obviously, but in today's society. He opens the definition to sex outside the covenant of marriage, to lust, to fantasy, to suggestive flirting, and yes, possibly even to just simply checking someone out. Actually, when you start applying Jesus' definition of adultery and what it means in a marriage, in a covenanted relationship, the list could be endless. And this is a challenge for us in the 21st century. This is why we need to talk about this stuff and why even though it's difficult and it's painful and it means the vicar has to stand up here and say sex a lot, even that... It's important for us to engage with it, to, 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 to find out what, what, what our responses as a church are, what our responses are when it affects us in our lives, and how we come at exploring um, this issue and the challenges it faces us. Because we live in a highly sexualized and charged world, more so than possibly ever before. Actually, ironically, when you think about where the, the ministry that Jesus, uh, the time that Jesus was ministering in, we are in a more, the most sexualized culture probably since the Greek and Romans. Because those two were highly charged sexual, um, uh, highly sexualized world. In the 21st century, temptation is everywhere. What we used to call permissive sex and sexual activity is now as standard portrayed in films, in TV, in radio, and in literature. Multiplicity of sexual partners is portrayed as the norm. And it's an art starts to dictate to life. Um, does anyone remember the 1990s sitcom Friends? Remember Friends? I used to love that show. I remember I, I accidentally watched the first episode of the, the, the day it was aired on Channel 4. I was a teenager and I was babysitting for someone and uh, it came on. I hadn't heard anything about it. You know, there wasn't the hype. You didn't get the hype coming across the Atlantic before stuff started. And I was like, going, I was going next day, I was going and going, guys, you've got to watch this. This was phenomenal. I loved that show. But actually, very, very questionable moral outlook when you step away from it and actually be a bit objective out about the, um, about the characters, about what's going on. In, in Friends, there are six characters, um, and uh, someone has been sad enough uh, on Reddit to, um, to sit down and work out how many sexual partners they had between them over the course of a 10-year series. Now, this is fictionalized, and it's fictionalized, and the reason this is going to be the number it is is because, actually, for dramatic effect, they add all sorts of people in. You know, it is fiction. But between them, in 10 years of that show, the six characters had 138 sexual partners. 138. Now, that is obviously a huge exaggeration on real life. That's, that's not realistic for most people, even in today's permissive society. 
even into a society that doesn't necessarily fully understand sex but is still obsessed with it. Even in that society, 138 sexual partners I think would be on the extreme level. Maybe I'm just naive, but I think it would be. But the reality is that stuff like this normalizes sexual activity in multiple sexual partners and it cheapens the gift of sex. This has a direct impact on the way society perceives sex. And the message becomes sex is cheap, sex is fun, sex is a commodity to be enjoyed. And we need to know that this understanding of sex impacts on us as a church. It impacts on us because of the ministry that we have amongst those that don't yet know Christ. It impacts us because this will change the world view on sex within our churches. Because as something becomes a norm in society, it changes the way churches think often. And also, this means that those that we are ministering to, those who come to faith, will have, uh, as adults, will have had a huge amount of stuff to deal with that maybe you didn't because of the um, journey the, the journey that you had um, if you've been part of the life of the church. Maybe you didn't. It's not, it's not a given. So it is challenging stuff. And the thing is, this is all important. Um, we know it's important because Jesus talks about it. So right away, it's in red letters in your book. So we know it's important. But it's important because actually sex is a great gift from God for a covenanted marriage relationship. Sex is probably the most intimate human, human act there is. And sex is a beautiful gift that was designed to be shared in a unique human relationship. The covenanted, monogamous marriage. Two people committing themselves to one another in body and spirit. It is a gift from God that is truly beautiful. The portrayal of someone that you've trusted is always painful, heartbreaking and damaging. When that person is someone with whom you have shared the most intimate relationship there is, that betrayal is magnified and the pain is unbearable. So it's really, really important that we start to understand uh, adultery and the reasons, you know, the, 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 the stuff around it. Now, Danny said last week that sin is sin is sin, and he challenged us because he said, he asked the question, why do we treat sexual sin differently? And he's right, we do. There's no my doubt in my mind that in the church we treat sexual sin differently to other sins. In the church we seem determined to pursue anyone we deem of committing sexual sin while often, often ignoring our own sins or subconsciously demoting our sins because they're not as bad as sexual sin. And that's a challenge because that also gets us in trouble. That gets us in hot water because that's not right. That's not how it is. Any sin damages our relationship with God. Any sin damages our relationship with those around us. And sexual sin is no different to that. And Jesus, um, you know, we, we say we, sorry, step back. We say we don't believe in a league table of sin, but we act as if we do. John 8, uh, John 8, 3, 11 shows us that the Pharisees were actually exactly the same. Uh, in John 8, it says, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before a group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? And they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. 
But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When he kept on questioning him, he, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first until only Jesus was left. And the woman was still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Jesus tackles this view right here. The often quoted verse here is sin no more, right at the end of this passage, and that is absolutely right. Jesus calls the woman caught in adultery out of her sin. Though it always strikes me odd at this moment that this woman was caught in the act of adultery, Scripture says. This isn't caught in adultery. This isn't caught in adultery in the sense of Jesus found the texts on her phone that, that, that made it clear what she'd been doing. This is caught in adultery. This is caught in the act of adultery. This is caught literally adulting. Is that a verb? That's what this says. Caught in the act of adultery. She was caught having sex with someone that wasn't her husband. That's what this means. That's what this verse says. So it always strikes me as odd because where's, her, where's the man she was with? Where is he? She's been caught in adultery. She's the one that's being threatened to be stoned. Where is he? Because he too was caught in adultery. Why have they only brought her? Anyway, sorry, step down from that one. Jesus is clear though. This is sin. You've been caught in sin. He's unequivocal. This is wrong. Stop. Stop now. Go sin no more. There is no leeway in that. Go sin no more. But actually, the most significant part of this account, and the bit that we often ignore, is not about the woman, but about those who have pointed themselves judge over her. Let you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her, Jesus says. That is a really interesting sentence, because he does not say, let you who has not committed this sin be the first to throw a stone at her. She says, let you who is without sin. This isn't about, uh, you know, and, and obviously the, you know, we know straight away the Pharisees, at that point the Pharisees start moving away because they've been, they've been outmaneuvered. They were trying to catch Jesus out and he's outmaneuvered them. But these words aren't about him getting one over the Pharisees. He's making his point forcefully. Yes, this sin is wrong, but it's just as wrong as your sin. It's just as wrong as your sin. And suddenly we're back at Matthew 5.28 that I read earlier. You have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And he's widening it not just beyond that list that I gave you. Pornography, sex outside marriage, lust, checking someone out. He's widening it to all sin. He brings us back round to the, 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 the two people, the one with the splinter in their eye and the one with the log in their eye. You want to point the splinter in your brother's eye out, but you've got a log in yours. Jesus reminds us that all sin is equal. He is clear this is sin. Go sin no more. 
but that all sin is equal. So where does that leave us? It leaves us trying as a church to tread a path between recognizing that sin is wrong and recognizing that we all sin and that my sin is as equal to the sin of the woman caught in adultery and the man she was with. It leaves us with a role as a church to know how to respond when this happens within the life of our church, when it happens to our loved ones, when it happens to people we know and love, when people turn up at our doorstep because they know we're Christians and they, they just don't have anywhere else to turn. How do we respond? I was told a story many years ago by a very wise man. He talked about the, uh, he talked about the man who used to commute into, uh, into the city each day on the train. Um, and uh, as... Um, as is often the case when you take the same train every day, it start, he started going along to the station, standing on the platform, waiting for the train. And then day by day, he slowly started to realize that those around him were people that were the same people every day. And you start to acknowledge one or two people, and you smile, because it was the same person, same train, all waiting for the same carriage every day. And then after a while, you started to sort of more than just smile, maybe give a bit of a nod, because you recognize the person. Um, and then, uh, you know, it's move on to good morning, good morning. And before he knew it, he was uh, greeting um, each day uh, this, this woman who was also traveling in on the same train each day would greet. Um, and then over time, they started sitting near each other, and then they'd start having a chat all the way to work. Um, and then, um, then he started to look forward to the train journey, because this woman would be there. And slowly, he realized that he was falling in love with her. He was spending so much time with her, and he was falling in love with her. And with great insight, he spoke to his wife and said, I need to tell you this. I love you. I've committed to you, but this is how I feel. And this, this person that I'm spending each day with is, is becoming significant in my life, and I don't know what to do. And the wife, with the wisdom of Solomon, said, change trains. Change trains. Paul puts the same story like this. Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one, for sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. 1 Corinthians 6, 18. It's Paul's way of saying, go, sin no more. Change trains. If this is you, change trains. So what's our response to these words, these difficult words and these painful, this painful subject? What's our response If you've been the victim of adultery, if someone has betrayed your trust in any of the forms that we listed there and more, if you've been a victim of adultery, I am not qualified to tell you how to feel. I'm not. I am desperately sorry that this has happened to you. And I know that Christ calls you to a point of being able to forgive. But you must not let that be a burden on you. Do not let it overbear on your life. It may take years. It may take decades to get you there. And you know what? That's okay. You've been betrayed. It hurts. It's heartbreaking. And if it takes you a while, that's okay. Because the God of love has sent his Holy Spirit to walk that difficult and painful path with you. And while I wouldn't dream of trying to give you answers or tell you what to do, I would encourage you to think about counselling to help you get you there. It's not a weakness to struggle to forgive. 
It's absolutely natural. Because something like this goes to the heart of our trust in others. But it's also not a weakness to realize we need help on that journey. And if that is you today, there are people around I can connect you to. There are people who could be helpful on this. But only helpful, it's only helpful if it's wanted. So don't hesitate, please. We can work something out. I couldn't think of the right word for this, but if you've been the antagonist, if you've been the one that has done the betrayal, if you're stuck in sexual sin or adultery, and again, that wide definition, if you're struggling with pornography, if you're struggling with, uh, with lust, with fantasy, with suggestive texting or sexting, with anything that's not how God calls you to live in this area, change trains. That's, I know that's oversimplified, but change trains. It may not be as easy as that, or certainly it may not feel like it is. Talk to someone you trust. Work out what you're going to do. It is going to be difficult. It is going to be painful, and it's going to be embarrassing. But you need to deal with this now before it consumes you. Paul says, run from sexual sin. That's what he calls you to do. That's what Christ calls you to do. I may be the last person you want to talk to, but if you've got no one else, you can speak, come and speak to me about it, and I will do all I can to help you, to put you in touch with people that can help you. Do not let this destroy the relationships around you. Don't let it do it. And then finally, we come to our response as a church, the community of Christ, the brothers and sisters here in our community at 9.30 at Depot, across our whole church. And you know what? Our job is simple and also one of the most difficult. We are called as the body of Christ to walk alongside those who have been victims of adultery and those who have been committers of adultery. We are called to walk in the pain and the darkness of those hurt and damaged by marriages that have failed and those who are trying to make it work despite of the loss of trust. We are called to stand in the righteous anger of those who have been betrayed, betrayed and in the loving forgiveness of those who have caused the pain and the suffering and the betrayal. We are called to walk with those who have committed this sin because it is their only way out of broken and damaging and abusive marriages and with those that have been the catalyst to that dreadful choice. We are called to declare, go and sin no more and cry, let anyone of you who is without sin be the first to throw the stone. There is not a nice easy end to this talk. The commandment is fairly clear. But the reality we live in is in the reality of the resurrected Christ. And it's the resurrected Christ who spread his arms of love out on the cross and died for each and every one of us. He died for us regardless of what our sin is. He died for us regardless of what it is that breaks our relationship with Christ. Whether it's this, some other form of sexual sin, 
whether it's one of the other commandments that we've mentioned already or the ones that are yet to come. Anything that breaks our relationship with God is sin. And he died and was raised to life so that we could be restored to him. He tells that beautiful story of the young man who, t who, who takes all his father's um, inheritance and spends it on everything, including sexual uh, sin. And when the young man turns back to his father, the father runs to greet him. It is the resurrected Christ that runs to greet us when we turn away from our sin. It is the resurrected Christ that restores us when we have been broken and betrayed and destroyed. And it is the resurrected Christ that forgives us when we have, been, when we have done that to other people. It is Easter season. I love the fact that Easter goes on forever. Um, in our liturgy at the, um, at the 9.30 service, we're still saying, Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. It never stops being true. Even in two weeks when it stops being Easter season, it never stops being true. And it is the resurrected Christ that can restore us, can bring us to a place where we can be forgiven and where we can forgive. And that's the journey that we're on. We're actually all on it in some form because we may not have been hurt by this, but we've been hurt by others. But today we're thinking about this. So um, I'm going to pray. And um, guys, are you up to just playing gently in a minute? Is that all right? Is that okay? Thank you. Um, I'm going I'm to pray. And then we're just going to take a few moments to sit in quiet. The guys are going are to play. We have an opportunity to minister. Don't forget that the prayer tent is there if you want it. There are people that can pray. There are people that are happy to walk this journey with you, who would be privileged, honoured to walk a journey like this with you. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the gift of your son. Thank you for the risen Christ who restores all things. Lord, help us to forgive the times we've been betrayed. Lord God, help us to seek forgiveness where we have broken and betrayed others. Help us to walk in grace with those who have experienced the pain of adultery in their lives. Help us walk with victim and uh, those that have caused the pain, those that have committed the sin. Lord, help us to be your people. And thank you that you restore all things through the love of your Son. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come.